Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, this is Natalie Vecchione, and you're listening to the first podcast of the FASD Hope podcast series. Our mission is to provide information, education, and inspiration to people whose lives have been touched by an FASD. And to get started, I'm joined by my husband and co-founder of FASD Hope, John Vecchione. We're parents to an 18-year-old son with an FASD, and while we're not experts, we think it's important to help provide information and hopefully inspiration to other parents and caregivers who are on the same FASD parenting journey as us. There's not nearly enough attention or information available to those who need it most. So John and I have been blessed to grow our family by domestic adoption. We have two amazing kids. Our son is 18 and our daughter is five. Our son came home to us when he was two and a half weeks old. He had a myriad of medical issues and presented early in his life with some medical concerns and issues that we coped with and we learned about and we advocated for him. When he was around two years old, he had to have a sleep study as he was not sleeping at night or getting very little sleep, which we later found out this is a very common trait of kids and individuals that have an FASD. The pediatric neurologist who monitored and read the results of our son's sleep study mentioned with us almost in passing that our son may have been exposed to alcohol and that was not documented anywhere and it was mentioned very briefly and his solution or answer to us when we asked what should we do next was put him in early intervention and he'll be fine, which we know that FASD is a lifelong disability and requires supports and accommodations throughout life. So as our son grew older for the next 10 years after that, we went through a period of a variety of physical symptoms uh, that he had. Asthma, headaches, uh, extreme reactions to bug bites and allergies, digestive issues, ADHD, migraines, and on and on. The term fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or FASD only came up when my husband and I would mention it to specialists or doctors or therapist, and we weren't even close to getting a diagnosis. The term FASD only came up when we raised it, and we weren't even close to having a diagnosis. Then, when he was 12 years old, we started to notice significant changes in his behavior. And while we had done a lot of reading over the years on FASD, we were starting to put the puzzle pieces together, that this is this may be what our son was challenged with. When he was 14, we moved to North Carolina, and that's when things really started to change. First, 
we met an expert in the field. And then we were introduced to a psychiatrist who had experience with FASD. And after uh, a short hospitalization, he was able to get an FASD diagnosis. And that's when things really started to change for us and where we really got on the path to learning and understanding what he was faced with and what the future might look like. That doesn't mean, of course, that we had answers or the path ahead of us, but at least we sort of had the the range of knowing what was in front of us and not knowing what challenges were to come. So finally, when our son was 15, we had a diagnosis of an FASD along with some other along with some other comorbid diagnoses. And it was at this time John and I were learning about brain-based approaches and how FASD was actually a brain-based whole body diagnosis and what he had experienced and many of the challenges we noticed that were exacerbated by adolescents were actually symptoms, but not behaviors. And when we learned that he couldn't do things, not that he wouldn't do things, that made a difference. And and while we were praying for changes and for our son to be happy and healed, what we actually learned in the process was that we needed to change our mindset and we needed to change our lives because he was having so much difficulty fitting into the expectations that were placed on him. And as he got older and things became more challenging, it was hard for him because he did not have the executive functioning skills to cope with the challenges that were being faced by neurotypical teenagers. So at this point, three years ago, and especially really in the past year, John and I, you know, we took some training and and just did research and learning and really embraced the brain-based neurobehavioral approach to parenting and, and caregiving. And most importantly, we made a lot of accommodations and we learned that during these teen years, our son needed actually more support than when he did when he was younger. So... We're just two parents with 18 years of lived experience with a now uh, young adult that has an FASD. And we're encountering new challenges and new transitions. Uh, Our son finished homeschool this year. He's working part-time as a carpentry apprentice. John and I are starting to walk down the journey of Medicaid, SSI, of guardianship, and a new myriad of challenges that face parents that have a young adult with an developmental disability. And the one thing that we found along the way was that there's a lot of people that work in these fields who just, they really want to be helpful. They made a choice to work in social services or for a nonprofit or for a charity or a state organization or a medical organization because they want to help people and they want to do good things. And you could tell, like I could tell from the conversations that I had over the years that these are folks that really do want to help. But in a lot of cases, they are, they're, they're, their hands are tied by the system 
and by what they can do and what they're allowed to do and what there's funding for and what the rules are. And so you just, you have to continually sort of be creative and, and advocate for your kids and, and, and try to find other ways. And so that resulted in uh, a lot of times because Natalie was homeschooling and couldn't make phone calls in front of the kids that I would do that. I would, you know, take a few minutes here or there throughout my work day and make phone calls to every which way I could. And, you know, it resulted in a lot of learning and getting a lot of information, but I don't think it was very fruitful in terms of getting services, getting, there was no breakthrough help, anything like that. And I'm not saying that to, um, I'm not saying that to be negative or to, you know, be a downer on that topic, but just the reality is that there isn't a lot of help for this. It's people don't understand it. Most of the phone calls I made, I was the one explaining what this was and what the issues were and what his needs are and what our needs are. And it was, uh, you know, very frustrating at times. I'll be honest with you. The, that, you know, you make all these phone calls and you, you have a lot of hope and you make a little progress in one direction and then you run into walls in the other. And that's just a fact of life. It's just a fact of life. But I can tell you this much that don't let it bring you down. Keep your head up because you're going to, you'll learn a lot in the process. And, and that's really all you can do is, you know, hopefully the things you'll hear, the topics you'll hear on this podcast will help provide information, talk to other people, connect. There's lots of groups uh, on the internet uh, through Facebook, through, through other websites and blogs and some other podcasts. There are, there's, there's information out there. So you'll have to go digging for it. Where does that lead us now? Well, we're starting this new venture, FASD Hope. John and I are co-founders in this new adventure that we have, which is a podcast, a website, and hopefully eventually more things. We have learned through our brave son, we learned that we need to be his advocates. We learned that we need to be a voice when he can't communicate what he needs. And we also learned that along the way in this journey, it's a hard journey. We're not going to sugarcoat anything. However, it can be a beautiful journey. And we have learned, John came up with a great motto that we embrace, and that is to savor the moments. And we realized that, especially as our son grew older, there, we just didn't judge days by being good days or bad days. We just realized that there were good moments and we really savored those. And the other thing that's incredibly important to us is our faith, our faith in God and our faith in Jesus. Our faith really carried us and continues to carry us through these times and through the times that were terribly difficult and and straining on our marriage and on our family. But we are thankful. And the way we want to give back and help others who we know there are thousands, if not millions of you out there that are facing the parenting challenges that we're facing. And we want to be a voice to help. 
we want to be a help. We want to be part of your tribe because we found out that when we found our tribe of people who were there for us and who understood us and who got our journey, that really made the difference in our being able to help our son. So Natalie, in in 2016, we moved from New York to North Carolina, and we had already been homeschooling. Uh, we made the decision to homeschool when we were in New York because the school system that, that we were in wasn't great, and the needs, you know, our Nick's needs um, surpassed those like, that we felt that what the school was could provide. Um, you know, you were the one here doing the homeschooling every day. What would you... For somebody that was that's interested in do, in doing homeschooling, where do you start? What would you what advice would you give? Well, I would definitely say to research the home first and foremost, research the homeschooling laws in your state or in your in your area. Homeschooling is legal in all fifty states in the United States. It's legal in all provinces in Canada. Find out the homeschooling laws. That's important, and find out how you can make them work for your family. I would also suggest joining groups, joining resource groups. Um, one of the things that we would like to do through FASD Hope is to provide homeschooling um, consultations. Um, I, I have been a homeschooler for six and a half years. That's something that we'd like to put out, um, you know, in the horizon in the not too distant future. I would also tell people to make sure you have supports and know that you don't need to homeschool all completely by yourself. You know, if your state or province allows it, you can join co-ops, you can have tutors, you can have people to help you teach the subjects. And I'll give you a classic example. Our son is a carpentry apprentice and a woodworking apprentice. And for the last two years of his homeschooling journey, we had two wonderful apprenticeship teachers that helped him learn his craft. And I didn't know a thing about carpentry. My husband, John, knew a little bit. So we were able to, our state allowed it, that we were able to have um, these two amazing apprenticeship teachers help our son learn the craft of, of carpentry and woodworking. You really, you, uh, you really tapped into anything and everything around. I have to tell you, I did like 50 cold calls to to carpenters and woodworkers around our area and just sent out letters and, and emails and, and, you know, his current apprenticeship teacher, who he's doing now post-homeschool, has been amazing and has just taught him and gets Nick and gets the way he learns and gets the way he operates. And so, again... You, you need to be your kid's advocate, you know, and we know that with our kids and teens that have an FASD, they also have many gifts inside of them. And homeschooling allows us to find those gifts sooner. I feel like that if our son had taken the traditional path of schooling, which we are not knocking, schooling, regular school works for many people. For us, it just was not a good fit for our family and for our son in particular. But with homeschooling, we were able to figure out his gifts sooner, which really helped. It really helped us learn to accommodate our lifestyle. So the second big accommodation we made besides homeschooling was 
we moved out to the middle of the country and uh, we have a, we call it the funky farmhouse and we have a detached workshop and we have property and we're surrounded by all these great farms and our son is able to be outside and work in his workshop if he wants. And he also lives very comfortably in the in-law suite that's above our garage, which gives works really well for our family because our daughter and, you know, John and I are on one side of the house and he's on the other side. And it allows for good privacy and, and good good regulation. So For us too. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. So we stepped out of our comfort zone quite a bit. And homeschooling for us was stepping out of our comfort zone. But now looking back on it, it was one of the best decisions we made. And we continue to do it. And uh, we um, were homeschooling our daughter for different reasons. But if that's something you're interested in, you can look on our website and, um, and eventually, hopefully, we'll have more resources than that. Yep. So... Let's change let's change topics because one of the ones that comes up has come up new, like it just almost consistently over the years was self-care. And my first question is, what is that? Because uh, we did not you know, we don't know what that is. It's elusive. It's elusive. And I think as uh I think most parents even uh you know, for even neurotypical families, it's a struggle, right? Because there's so many needs, um there's schedules and meals and laundry and house and jobs and school and it's a lot right and so you tend to lose yourself and who you are and and you know it really just i know we we joke about it now but it really just makes you want to bang your head against the wall when somebody tells you just take a bath or watch a movie or go out and do something for yourself when when you're not getting any help and you're in it almost on your own, if not entirely on your own. And somebody says that it makes you want to scream because you know, you're not going to be able to do that. Who could you possibly, who could you leave your kids with or your kid with that is going to be able to understand and, and sort of contend with what challenges may be faced during that time. And that you can actually go out and relax and be comfortable during that time. I mean, we struggle with that and we still do to this day. You know, it's, it's easier than it was, but not, it's a little better than it was, but still a challenge. Um, so to answer that question, what is self-care? It's different for everybody. I mean, sometimes it's being able to sneak in a, mo- a movie or a show um, at night. Sometimes, honestly, for me, I actually look at podcasting as self-care because I enjoy it. I love talking to people and hearing their stories and hearing hearing their advice and, and their wisdom. And podcasting for me is, it's a chunk of time that I get to do a grown-up thing <laughs> and just um, learn as well as hopefully share what I've learned with other people. So, pod- it's not, But it's not, it's not a bath. It's not like, there's just not enough... I don't know. For us, there's just never been enough time for that, or there hasn't been the time or space to do those things. Or there hasn't been people who can step in and help out. I mean, we were supposed to, when our son was first diagnosed, uh, we were supposed to receive six hours a week of respite, and we've never received 
any of those hours because there are no providers. There are no organizations that were able to um, <laughs> meet the needs of our son at the time. Well, so here, well, the, here's the thing about that. And this is probably one of the gotchas that there's probably dozens, if not hundreds of these, when you're navigating through the state, you know, state systems that are supposed to provide this help. We qualified for serve for some services while we're on a waiting list in North Carolina, but nobody said anything that you could only get these services if you qualified for Medicaid, which we do not. And so while we said, yeah, you can get all these services, we couldn't actually get them because it was mainly respite. We couldn't get respite because we did not qualify for Medicaid. And so that, that, that those were in the dozens of phone calls that I made to agencies and different organizations and things to find out if they, you know, could get paid through some other means other than Medicaid and nobody could. So that's where we ended up with no respite. But but that's okay because we learned and we continue to learn. And let's talk about humor because you have to have humor on this journey. John and I feel that our faith is first and foremost and our family, of course, and something that, that's been such a helpful tool for us is our sense of humor. John and I both, we love to laugh. We come from very funny families, <laughs> and we use humor a lot to help us get through the times, especially the times that are dark and that we are uncertain. Um, some people some people call it gallows humor. Some people call it sarcastic humor but having humor in what seems to be ridiculous actually can help you get through these times yeah sometimes that can be the only thing that saves you i mean when you're just have one of those moments and you know don't get me wrong you, there's lots of moments where you're you're crying <laughs> you're not laughing but um but we are very blessed in that we get each other's sense of humor and we get the sort of the the state of the the situation or the things going on and can make sort of a an offhand sort of comment sometimes about things and it's just to break the tension because with if i can't joke with you about this we're in it together and we're both you know sometimes it's really hard and if you can't laugh about it then you know i don't know what i don't know what we would do quite frankly you know if if you can't say some of the things to your your partner, your wife, your husband about uh, what's going on, and and see the some light in the darkness. Then I don't know. It, it's very hard. But I think that leads to the next question or the next sort of subject around you know maintaining a marriage through what is extremely stressful when you're in it. As you know, I'm sure if you're listening to this, then you're in it. You know that it's it's not easy, and this you have to kind of you are gonna you're gonna come second, and a lot of times third or even last. And somewhere in there, you have to just find be somewhat okay with that, or at least accepting of it, because because it's not always easy, and there's no answers, and there's no relief. And this is really depressing. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Well, I can tell you that there have been there have been a few times where I was worried if John and I would make it through because we had so many strains on our marriage uh, from 
not just from FASD, but just from the ripple effect of having a child with a special needs and the ripple effect and, and how it affects financially and how it affects your health and your mental well-being. And I can tell you that, the, you know, I've had very dark times where I've been crying and I've told my husband, I don't know what to do next. I don't know how I can go on, that kind of thing. And I probably scared the, the bajabbers out of them. But, uh, <laughs> and I can say that having this journey really makes or breaks marriages and partnerships. And I'm thankful for us that despite the valleys in this journey, that we have grown stronger and that we're actually united in this new venture of ours, FASD Hope, because first, to be honest with you, I wanted to do this by myself. And just, I told John, I, I, you know, I really feel like God is calling me to do a podcast and to do more and just to, to help and be a voice and to help lead others. And he said, I want to do this with you. And I was like, seriously, this is my thing. And he said, no, I want to do this with you. We've been doing this together. And I totally got that. And I'm so happy that John is doing this. And actually, John is going to be doing, we're going to have a reoccurring theme in our podcast, and we're calling it DadCast, where we're inviting dads uh, of kids and teens that have an FASD to speak with John and I about issues that are particularly related to dads, because we recognize that dads have uh, different needs and, and different challenges, especially within a partnership or a marriage. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I think that a couple of things that I would, you know, thinking about this over the years is that, is that one is that, you know, we were always committed to our marriage and each other and the commitment we made to God. And so there was no, there was no question about it. It was always sometimes really, 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 really hard. The other thing is that I think where we listen to each other and we give each other the space and to be sad or upset and, and put, you know, when you have those moments where you're, you know, perhaps we both had a bad day or had bad moments that you put, you kind of take yourself out of the mix for a minute and you put your feelings aside where you're feeling bad and I did that, I need this and I did this and he, she didn't do that. You take that out of it and just think like, all I can think sometimes is like how bad you must be feeling or what you went through in that day. And that really kind of just level set me in a lot of ways to, you know, not be so focused on my own emotions or whatever. But I think it's important just because you're, your partnership, your marriage, um, is under fire and it will be, and it'll, it could continue for a long, long time. And so make sure that you're finding joy and you're finding connection with your partner. Even if you can't go out or you can't, you know, like you said, you don't get those self-care moments. There's a lot of times where if we get, if Nick is maybe with talking to a friend and, uh, you know, our little one is 
you know, she wanted to do something special and watch a movie while she ate dinner, that we get dinner at the table together uh, once in a while. And that we basically treat that like a date. And a lot of times we just sit there and look at each other because we don't know what to say because, you know, if we're not talking about the kids or the house or whatever, but, um, but we do and we kind of have fun with it and we do we enjoy that, but you got to find those little moments. Like you said, it's just, instead of looking at the big things that maybe you grew up, like I grew up and it was about like, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good week. And you still do have those things, but you, um, if you focus on the small, look, look deeper, you focus on some of the smaller things, you'll find more moments of joy and moments of happiness to, to, to focus on. I am very blessed. I love my husband and I'm so thankful for him. I have to say one more thing about having a child, a teen, an adult with an FASD and being married or being in a partnership is that John and I have learned that, of course, this is a marathon that we are in. And we've also learned when to tap out and hand each other the baton. There are many times in a marriage where you are like, you know what, I need you to carry the hope for me today because I'm just kind of tapped out. I'm I'm drained of emotional energy. I'm drained of physical energy. And I think developing that open line of communication so that you can say to your husband, your spouse, your partner, I need a, I, I need you to just take reins for a little bit so I can back off. And and we've developed a really good rhythm to that. John knows when he needs to kind of just take the lead and deal with the perseveration of the day or the the drama of the day or anything and and same thing, you know, and and I know when I need to be the hope carrier, a, a good friend use that term be carrying the hope, which we hope to be a, car- a carrier of hope for people so that they can learn. Um, again, we're not experts. We don't claim to be experts. We're just two parents who have over 18 years of lived experience. We've learned some things and we want to share some things to be helpful and to be a resource. What we experienced as kids you know, the rules, the, just all the, the norms and things like that. And this has been not a 180, but close to that. It's just, it's different. And I don't know, I've, it's definitely been a struggle for me at times where trying to let go of how I, you know, how I was raised and the things that were expected and how things were handled to, adapting to a way that best suits our family. Have you struggled with that as well? Completely. Um, the way we parent our son and the way we parent and the way we live our life as a family is totally different than any other of the family members I can think of. And I, before we had a diagnosis, I know quite a few members of of our family had a problem with, uh, they just thought that either our son, I I don't even want to repeat some of the things they said, but just, they thought, uh, they knew what was right for our son. They thought they, we just needed to discipline harder or do anything 
And you just have to think differently. This journey transformed us from traditional parenting to thinking out of the box parenting. And honestly, now that I've done that and I see how it works for our family, I don't think I could go back to quote traditional parenting quote. And you will also learn that there are things that you mourn as a parent of a child that has an FASD or a developmental disability. You mourn things. There's certain things that we don't expect anymore. And I like to think that if you either lower or eliminate expectations, and if something should happen, then it's a pleasant surprise. It's a blessing. And I think that we've both learned that. Doesn't mean you give up on, you just have to find another way around. And that's, I'll be honest, that's still hard for me in a lot of cases. I was growing up, I was raised in a very traditional sort of Italian family, domineering male father, you know, and what he said went and there was respect was everything. And that is a structure that does not work. And this is not to say that our son is not respectful. He's a great, great person. He's, he's just a good person. And we have to handle things differently. We have to approach things differently. And so, I don't know. I think that's a big thing, especially maybe for dads, because, you know, the way we're raised, the way we see our sons and our kids and uh, our daughters, and we want, you know, the vision we sort of have for our family and how it will be is not what it is. It's not how it turned out. It doesn't mean it's not great, but it's just different. And it takes some time to get used to that. So if you're just starting this journey, just know that it's going to evolve over time. And it's going to be a lot of learning. And you're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. But just pick yourself back up. This has been, this journey has been transforming for us, for our entire family. And that's part of the beauty of it. That uh, it's hard. There's struggles. There's challenges. But there's transformation, especially when you accommodate and not only do you discover your child's strengths, but you nurture them so they can grow. You know, I I like to say when I podcast on our desk in our home office that that's the desk that our son made for us last Christmas. And I never, never imagined that we would be working from that desk every day. And it's the perfect desk for us. And it, it, it's just a symbol of the beauty that is inside our son, not just his gift of carpentry, but so many other gifts that he has. And I cannot imagine us being parents to anyone besides our son and our daughter. And I'm sure you feel the same way. So let's quickly just talk about FASD hope. What are, what are our hopes? What, what are we looking forward to doing this? I can tell you for me, I'm really looking forward to podcasting in a way that I can ask the questions that I want to ask and that I'm talking to guests that I'm really interested in talking with. I can tell you that it's exciting for me. I really enjoy podcasting. I'm learning and I really feel like that I'm sharing what I'm learning with our audience. So I really hope and pray that our audience grows so that you can learn with us. And again, um, we like to add hope into this podcast because that's a word that you don't associate often with FASD. And we want to add more hope into the conversations that we have. 
Absolutely. And the, like we said at the beginning, we're not experts. We're just, we've learned a lot. We'd love to share that. And we'd love to, you know, foster discussions and resources that can help others along the way. And if you have feedback or ideas or topics you're interested in, please uh, go to uh, fasdhope.com and send us a message. And we'd love to hear from you. And we're excited to go on this journey with you. So with that, thank you for listening to our first episode. And we've got some great episodes coming up actually very soon. Um, We're releasing a couple of episodes in our launch. And we have a roster of just great guests and great conversations that we'll be having. And again, we hope that you will learn. We hope that we can provide resources. And most of all, we just want to remind you that there's always hope. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.